Ben? All right, uh, in the time I have left, I'm going to talk to you today about the mind of Christ. The mind of Christ. The cross and the mind of Christ. And we've, we've been talking a lot about the cross. And you know, we said the cross makes, it makes a way for a new life and a new nature. And I want you to understand this. You know, we, we were talking in the Bible study today. And we're, we're going through the book of Hebrews. And Kathy's teaching, uh, uh, through, teaching us through the book of Hebrews. And it's a wonderful study. There's so much for you to learn there. But one thing you see is that the Hebrews, the, the book of Hebrews, is a letter written to a, a group of people. They're Hebrews. That's why it's called Hebrews. And they're living under a dual system. They're still trying to keep the law and they're still trying to profess faith in the Messiah. And the writer of Hebrews is pointing out you can't do it. You can't keep the law and have faith in the Messiah because they're mutually exclusive. And, you know, one of the things we talked about today, I said, you know, in the church, in, in Israel, there was always this disconnect. God dwelt behind a veil in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And no one could go into the presence of God except once a year a high priest was able to go for a moment in time. He was able to go into the presence of God and, and offer the blood of sacrifice for the atonement the sins of the nation. The feast called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. If you know anything about Jewish culture, that Yom Kippur, that is the, the, the Feast of Atonement, the Day of Atonement. That was the one day a year that the high priest went into the presence of God. And the rest of the time, God was with them, but the people could not come and dwell and be in the presence of God. And Israel was satisfied in knowing that God was with them. But, but David, King David said, Oh, that I could dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That I could live in your presence, God. And he wrote, In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. But with Israel, there was always this disconnect. It was them and God who dwelt behind a veil in a box in the tabernacle. And as long as the box went with them, they felt secure. But that box and that tabernacle was nothing more than a type and a shadow. It was sending a message to us that one day God would not just be with us, but we would be brought into fellowship. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, now we can come boldly and with confidence to the very throne of grace by the blood of Jesus. But yet, many Christians, many believers today live with the same disconnect Israel had. And we can say, well, we're not under the law anymore. We're not, we're not living under that system anymore. No, we've just changed the name. We've changed the, 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 the pictures. We've given them different names and different identities, but we live the same separated lives. There is this fundamental idea that God is just someone who is with me, who is for me, but there is still this fundamental disconnect. I'm telling you what, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that there is no longer a separation. There is no longer a disconnect. It's not that we can just come into that 
holy of holies anytime we want to now. It's that through Jesus Christ, we have been ushered into the presence and we now abide. We live in his presence. We dwell in his presence if we are alive in Christ. We don't just have access anytime. See, some Christians have the fundamental misunderstanding that Jesus took the veil away and I can just come in and out anytime I want to. No, that's not it. You're still living separated. There is no separation anymore. We have been brought into Christ. That's why the scripture very clearly teaches we are one body. We're many members, but we're one body with one head. The cross makes a way for us to come into that one body under the life of the one head, Jesus Christ. The cross makes a way for there now to be not many lives, but one life. We had a nature that was of Adam, that was unacceptable to God. The cross made it possible for that nature to be removed. And now we have been given the very nature of Jesus Christ, the very life of Christ. And that is why, church, we are now acceptable to the Father. It's why we now live in his presence because the cross has made a way for us to come into Christ. And the work God is doing is a work It's a body work. It's a corporate work so that there is a corporate expression of his life. And I'll say it again. It's why it's so important for us to come together, to assemble together, to gather together. Because you are the corporate expression of the life of Christ. Even you individually, as you go out day after day and you do your job or you go to wherever you go and you interact with whoever you interact with, even you as an individual, you are a corporate expression. You represent not a single person in yourself. You represent one man, Jesus Christ, who has a body made up of many members. You, even in yourself, are a corporate expression of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ in the earth. Now, what's the problem? The problem is those things are true. Do you know whether you believe it or not doesn't make it true? There's a bumper sticker that, I don't know, I hadn't seen it in a long time. says, God said it, I believe it. Uh, So it's true. Whether you believe it or not doesn't make it true. God said it, so it's true. Leave out the I believe it part. Because there's a lot of people that don't believe what God said and it's still true. Amen? Amen? We need to come into the reality of the truth. If you don't believe it, you've missed out. And the cross makes a way for us to have the mind of Christ. And I'm going to go through this real quick because I only have a few minutes. But this is why you have a message guide. You know, I thought about this last night. You know, the scripture says we come so that you can be what? Equipped. That's what Paul says. You come here, you assemble together to to love, to encourage, to provoke one another. But it says God set these gifts in the church for the equipping of the saints. Now I'm just going to say, a lot of people come to church thinking they're going to the movie theater instead of... This is more like coming to school than it is going to the movie theater. When you go to the movie theater, you don't take your books with you. You go to be entertained. When you come to church, don't come here to be entertained. Come here to be equipped. There's a difference. What are you being equipped for? 
We're not being equipped to preach to the four walls because preaching to the four walls doesn't do any good. You are to encourage one another, to provoke one another, to love and good works. But our mission field is outside of these walls. You come here to be equipped so that you can be equipped and prepared to go out and express the life of Jesus. Express the nature of Jesus. Express the very mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. Let's read Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 2. Let's begin in verse 12. When we're born again into a new life with a new nature in Christ, we receive what? We receive the mind of Christ. Now, when you got born again, your nature was replaced, but your mind was not. And the scripture is very clear. We've got to do something with the old mind, the carnal mind. God didn't take it away from us. Otherwise, we'd lose all of our memories. We'd lose everything that, that has become the sum total of our lives. He doesn't do that. He replaces our nature because unless our nature is changed, unless we have the nature of Christ, the life of Christ, we can't be acceptable. We can't come to the Father. We can't abide, live, and dwell in His presence. But I have been given the mind of Christ, but, but I also have my mind just like I have a spirit, the Bible says. But now my spirit is perfectly conformed to the spirit of God. Why? Because God made my spirit brand new. But my mind has got to be renewed. Not replaced, renewed. My nature needed to be replaced. My mind needs to be renewed. Paul says in 2 Corinthians Second, First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Who gave us that spirit? God did. And so now we've received the spirit of God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man, who is a natural man? A natural man is any man that is not born again. Are there born again people who still operate out of their natural mind? Yes, and that's why the scripture says, renew your mind. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Now, you see that word discern there? I don't know what version of the Bible you're using, but I use a New King James. And in my New King James, it says at the end of verse 14, spiritually discerned. And then it begins in verse 15, but he who is spiritual judges. That word judges is the exact same word as discerns. So when we hear the word judge, we think of something negative. Don't judge me. Hey, hey, don't judge me. You ever, you ever said that to somebody? You ever had someone say that to you? Hey, don't judge me. Bible says don't judge. Don't judge me. That's not what this word is right here. It's, it's the word discern. If I am discerning, I am judging, but I'm not judging in the way that you think of judging because we automatically think of judgment as a negative thing, and it's not. It can be, but here, what it really says is, but he who is spiritual discerns all things. 
Why? Because I have the Spirit of God. Because now I have the mind of Christ. If I am in Christ, I can now discern all things. Why? Because I'm discerning them from the point of view of God the Creator. Yet he himself is rightly judged or discerned by no one. In other words, the natural, the world looks at us and they can't, they can't figure us out. They can't discern us. Why? Because they're natural men trying to understand spiritual things. Why? Because if you're born again today, you're not natural. You are supernatural or spiritual. Now, we live in natural bodies. But remember, we, we know what's going to happen to this thing. What's going to happen to it? It's, it's going to depart. It's either going to die or it's going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. But this flesh ain't going to heaven. This flesh is not going to come into the presence of the Lord. And how long we live in this flesh does not determine our spirituality. Because if we are in Christ, how long we live in this flesh means nothing. Because if I'm in Christ, how long is my life? Eternal. Don't judge your life by the condition of this flesh. Because this flesh is still unacceptable to God even though a redeemed man lives inside of it. So he who is spiritual discerns all things, yet he himself is not discerned by anyone. Why? Because natural can't understand spiritual. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We've received not the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit which is from God. We have, church, the mind of Christ. So unlike the new nature, the mind of Christ does not replace our old mind. Instead, we are to do what? Renew our minds so that it conforms to the mind of Christ. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So is there opposition? You have the mind of Christ. Who said that? I didn't say that. Paul, the apostle, said that. You have the mind of Christ. Is there opposition to the mind of Christ? Yeah, you bet there is. And there's a dual nature to which... To, to that which opposes the mind of Christ. There is spiritual opposition and there's what we'll call carnal. And that word carnal simply means fleshly. You ever go to a Mexican restaurant and get carne gasada? It's where that word comes from, carne. Meat, it means meat, the flesh. All right? The, the opposition is spiritual. The rulers of the darkness of this age... The deception of the evil one opposes the mind of Christ in you. He is forever trying to deceive you into believing and thinking things that are not consistent with truth, with the nature of God, with the will of God. So you have that opposition. Then you have what, what I call carnal opposition. What's that? That's the flesh. It's the lust born out of the fallen nature of this world. Now remember, if we're born again, we've been given a new nature. But my mind still has all of the memories, all of the knowledge of the old nature. So what do I need to do? I need to conform my mind to the mind of Christ, which I now have. So the enemy uses the carnal mind 
and its lust to oppose us by attempting to do what? To turn us from the truth. And I gave you some scriptures there that talk about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of this world, how we're drawn away by our own lust. Paul says in Romans 8, 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is, it's not just opposed. You know what that word enmity means? It means hatred, active, positive hatred of something. The carnal mind actively loathes and hates God. It does. Why? Because it's of the old nature. Do you want to run around living out of a mind that is actively hating on God? <laughs> you don't. And see, none of you would, would want to do that, right? But when we live out of that old mindset, when we let those old attitudes, those old strongholds, those old arguments, those old imaginations, those old thoughts come and, and get inside of our head and take us captive, that's what we're doing. We're living out of a mind that is actively hating God. Now, you'd never say, I hate God. But when you live from a worldly mind, that's exactly what your mind is doing. It's hating on God. That's what that word means. A believer with a new nature, but a mind not being renewed or conformed to the mind of Christ is subject to the deception and the enmity of the carnal mind. That's why Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Not because God's going to be mad at you if you don't. God's not mad at you. He loves you. He wants to save you from that hatred, from that enmity, from that opposition that the carnal mind is opposing him with. He wants you to live consistent with his life, with his nature, with his mind. Why? Because you've been brought into life in Christ. And if you're in Christ, if you're in the Spirit, Paul says, so walk in him. How do you get the carnal mind renewed? I'm not going to dwell a lot on this, but there's four things. The washing of the water of the word. Listen, if the only time you're getting the word of God is, is for 30 minutes on Sunday while I'm preaching, your mind has got problems. Bible says, wash your mind with the word of God. Jesus loves us like a bride. And he, through the washing of the water of the word, presents her to himself a glorious bride. The word will wash you. It will change. It will renew your mind. Prayer and meditations, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Bringing your thoughts into captivity. You have the power to do that. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. And fellowship with the body. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Go look those up and meditate on those scriptures. Get your mind renewed. Now let's go to Philippians 2, 5. Philippians 2, 5. So what did Paul tell us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16? What do we have? We have the mind of Christ. If you're born again, what do you have? Come on, talk to me. You have the mind of Christ. You're going to take my word for it or you're going to take the Bible's word for it? Let me give you a hint. Don't take my word for it, okay? My word doesn't mean anything if it doesn't line up with this word. The scripture says you have the mind of Christ. All right, Philippians chapter 2. Let's go there. Verse 5. Philippians 2, 5. 
What does Paul say? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind. Now, wait a minute. Paul said, I thought we have the mind of Christ. Now, he's saying, let this mind be in you. Is he contradicting himself? Mm -mm. Are you trying to get the mind of Christ? Are you born again? Are you trying to get the mind of Christ? Or do you have the mind of Christ? You have it. So we are not trying, listen church, we are not trying to get the mind of Christ. I'm talking to you as to believers. I don't know if all of you are believers, but I am here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And you saints need to understand that you are not trying to get the mind of Christ. If you're born again, you have the mind of Christ. We are to now let this mind be in us. What does that mean? In other words, I have the mind of Christ. I need to let that mind, that mindset, that attitude, I need to let that rule me. I need to let that mind of Christ in me govern me. It needs to rule my thoughts. It needs to rule my attitudes. It needs to rule my imaginations. It needs to rule my arguments. It needs to rule my thoughts. And when my thoughts become unruly, Paul said in 2 Corinthians, bring them into arrest them and make them obey Christ. Bring them into captivity. He said, you have the power to do that, not through your flesh, but through the weapons of your warfare that are mighty in God. So we're not trying to get the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We need to let that mind be in us. We must let this mind and this attitude rule in us. Let's, let's, go, let's go through here. Let, the, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. He didn't try to take his position by force like the enemy did. But instead, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself. We must let this mind and this attitude rule us. A mind and an attitude of what? Of humility. Jesus didn't seek his own reputation, but he sought the reputation of the Father. He sought to glorify only the Father. He never attempted to glorify himself. He understood that in glorifying the Father, he would be glorified. Let's go on. Therefore, verse 9, God also, well, look, he humbled himself and became what? Obedient. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So we need to let what? This mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. So let that mind and let that attitude rule you in humility and in what? Obedience. Jesus did nothing of or on his own. In John 5.19 and John 5.30, Jesus says this. John 5.19, Jesus said, I don't do anything on my own. I can do. As a matter of fact, he didn't say I don't. He said I cannot. I can do nothing on my own. Man, not only is that humility, that is obedience. I only do what I see the Father do. And so Jesus did nothing of or on his own, but only that which he saw the Father do. 
He did only the Father's will. He never did his own will. He, actually, his will was in perfect conformity to the will of the Father, but he didn't do his will. He did the will of the Father in perfect obedience. Let this mind be in you. Then it goes on. It says, therefore, God also has highly exalted him. Why? Because he humbled himself and became obedient. Therefore, God highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name. Listen, 1 Peter and James both say, don't try to promote yourself, humble yourself. Because God resists the proud. But if we'll humble ourselves, God will exalt us in due time. If the Son of God humbled himself and became obedient, therefore God highly exalted him. It should be and it is a lesson for us and a model for us to live with an attitude and a mindset of humility and obedience and at that name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We should live with a mindset of perseverance. It says, therefore, he goes on, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Look at verse 16. Holding fast the word of life. Hold on and don't let go. Hold on, persevere, endure. Jesus had a mindset, an attitude of perseverance. He finished his course. He persevered to do the Father's will even in the face of great suffering and shame. Hebrews 12 says he endured the suffering of the cross, despising its shame for the joy that was set before him. He persevered, he endured, he finished his course. Why? For us Because he knew unless he finished it, unless he persevered to the utter end, we would have no hope, church. But today, we have hope because Jesus persevered. He endured, striving against sin even to the point of bloodshed, the writer of Hebrews says. Now look at this. I want to go back to verse 12 and 13. Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Now we're talking about having the mind of Christ. And this is important. This is absolutely linked. This is not separate from what Paul started with when he says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. Work out your own salvation. What does it mean? Does it mean that we are to work for our salvation? There's a difference. No. Jesus worked for your salvation. His is the only work that counts. So your working for your salvation is utter futility. You working to keep your salvation is utter futility. There's not anything you can do to get it. There's not anything you can do to keep it. It's only what Jesus did. And that work 
is not a point in history. It is an eternal reality. We need to live in it. We need to know it. Amen? So what does he mean? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In Christ, you now have, listen, what do you have? You have his life. You have his nature. And today you found out, Paul says, you have the mind of Christ. You have his life, his nature, and you have his mind. We are to let that life, that nature, and that mind, what? We are to let it come out. Let this mind be in you. Let the mind of Christ in you, let it come out of you. Let it be seen in your decisions. Let it be seen in your attitudes. Let it be seen and known in your conversation. Let it be seen and known in your imaginations, in your arguments. Let the mind of Christ come out. Let the life of Christ come out and be manifest through you. Let the nature of Christ, which you now possess, let it come out. That's why, you see the little kids sing the song? That's why Jesus said, you don't like a lamp and then hide it under a bushel. You light a lamp so the light can what? Go out. God didn't put his spirit in you for you to hide it from the world. He put it in you so that it can come out. He put his life in you so that it can come out. He put his nature in you, his mind in you, so that it can come out. Work out. What are you striving against? Paul said, I work harder than all of you. Not to get saved, but he is working against what? He is working against the opposition. What's opposing the mind of Christ in you? It's your carnal mind. Come on, don't tell me I'm the only one here that's got one. Am I? If I am, you guys need to pray for me. Am I the only one that's got a carnal mind? You guys ever get, do you ever get angry? I do. Can I, I'll tell you, thank you sister, pray for me. I'll just be honest with you last night. Now I'm a huge, huge Longhorns fan, you know. Class of 84, man. I mean, I bleed orange. The floor really was an accident. It was not on purpose, I promise you. But listen to me. Had the Longhorns lost last night? Ask my wife. I'd have been really bummed out. Now I know that's very carnal. That's just so carnal. That's so unspiritual. But I'm just being honest with you. I mean, I'm like, dang, national championship hopes blown again by a team they should have handled. I'd have been mad. You know why? Because I'm letting that carnal mind get back in there. It shouldn't matter anything. And see, I got to oppose, that's just a real, you know, that's a goofy example. Some of you guys driving down the street, See a nice looking woman walking down the sidewalk? You got problems. Some of you guys shouldn't be surfing the internet with no one in the room with you because that carnal mind wants to take you to websites that you shouldn't be on. Do I need to keep going? You, you, you pick anything you want. Some of you guys don't need to walk by the beer cooler in the convenience store because it's going to reach out and grab you. Some of you guys think you can go hang out with your old buds while they're sitting there getting high and you're just, well, I'm not smoking. Yeah, but you come out smelling like the stuff. Well, I'm witnessing to them. No, you're not. You're not witnessing to them. 
You're sitting there struggling. You're sitting there wanting to partake with them. And you're just using witnessing to them as an, as an excuse and a reason to fellowship and, and be part of that. Are you going to lose your salvation and go to hell because you did that? No. But are you letting the life and the nature and the mind of Christ be manifest and, and revealed through you? No, you're not. You're letting your old mind, your old nature, the old carnality take control of you. And the scripture says, don't let that happen. Let this mind be in you. Let the mind of Christ be in you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? Should I be fearful of God? Am I afraid God's going to reach down and smack me? No, God's not going to reach down and smack you. He poured his wrath out on his son so that you wouldn't have to take that wrath. But he's given you life and he wants you to walk in it. When your kids are playing in the middle of Main Street... Why do you run out there and get them? Not because you're mad at them, because you're afraid they're going to get run over. Because it's not healthy. It's not profitable for them. You living out of the carnal mind, men and women, is not profitable for you. You reverting back to the way you used to be before you were redeemed is not profitable for you. And it's not a witness of the life you now have in you. So don't do it. If you're, if you're only trying not to do those things because you're afraid you're going to go to hell, if you do, you've missed the whole point. You're consumed with self. You are so selfish and so self-centered. All you care about is whether you're going to go to hell or not. You better start caring about whether people are finding and knowing and seeing Christ through your life because that's why God put you here to be a witness, to be a light in the darkness. And if you're living out of the carnal mind, you're not being a light. You're not being a witness. So what does it mean to work out our own salvation? How does that life, how does that nature and that mind come out? It comes out as God works in us. How? By his spirit. It clearly says, for it is God. For it is. Work out your own salvation. For it is God who works in you. Did you put the spirit of God in you? No. Did you put the mind of Christ in you? No. God did. You are to now let that mind rule you. You are now that you are in the Spirit. You are now to walk in the Spirit. So what does it mean? We are to work out our own salvation for it's God who works in us. With fear and trembling, what does that mean? Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 10.9 says this, The fear of of the Lord, or Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 15.33. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to, it's the beginning of instruction. Why did Paul say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? I'm going to tell you, if you have no fear of God, and I'm not talking about being afraid that God's going to hurt you. I want you to think about this, church. That we need to come to a place of revelation that it is God, listen, God who works in us to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Remember, 
We're not separated anymore. We've been brought into the very presence. We dwell. We live in his presence. He lives in us. And that revelation that God lives in you through Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God should lead us to a place, a sense of awe. It's the wonderful fear of God. That God, the creator of heaven and earth, would choose to dwell in this unclean vessel? Yes, he did. He chose to save you. He chose to dwell in you. If that doesn't bring you into some awe and some mystery and some amazement and what the Old Testament called just good old-fashioned fear of God, God living in here, you would think that it would just God, the very presence of God, the very glory of God would just blow this thing apart, but it doesn't. How can God be contained inside of this frail vessel of flesh, of clay? How? When you begin to ponder on that, when you begin to get the revelation of that, it brings you to a place of awe, the fear of the Lord. And that is the beginning of knowledge. That is the beginning of of wisdom. That is the beginning of understanding that it's not God dwelling in a box behind a veil, but it is God in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That it's not God in a temple or a tent or somewhere a million miles away in heaven, but it's God dwelling inside of you and the life you have is not a temporary life. It is an eternal life and nothing and no one can take it from you. You didn't get you can't give it up either because you didn't choose to get it. God chose to give it to you. You belong to him. This contract signed in blood and God doesn't go back on his word. He does not. And the life he promised us is not temporary life, it's eternal life. If that doesn't give us a sense of fear and wonder that the God of heaven lives on the inside of us, I don't know what will, church. That you now have the very mind of Christ, the wonderful fear of God, is to lead us into a knowledge and a wisdom that brings about the revelation of Christ, the revelation of his life, the revelation of his nature, the revelation of his very mind in us. Revealed and manifest through us and made known to this world. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. And I will tell you, I'm talking about the mind of Christ. And that we need to have our mind renewed and conformed to that mind of Christ that is now in us because of the new birth. And I'm going to tell you this, where there is no fear of the Lord, there is no renewing of the mind. There is no renewing of the mind apart from the fear of the Lord. All you have apart from the fear of the Lord, you know how I know that? Because the scripture says, not Pastor Jeff, the scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. That tells me that without the fear of the Lord, there is no wisdom, there is no knowledge, there is no understanding. All we have is a knowledge that does what? Exactly what Paul the Apostle says. You have a knowledge that puffs up, but it doesn't bring any transformation. And I'm telling you what, there's a lot of Christians running around with big heads, with a bunch of puffed up knowledge, thinking they are so righteous 
and holy and pious. But I'm telling you what, there is no fear of the Lord in the church anymore. And I'm not saying that as a point of condemnation. Get over condemnation. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm challenging you, church. Zechariah prophesied, Haggai prophesied to Zerubbabel. And the prophet said, the spirit of the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. And the spirit of the Lord stirred up the spirit of Joshua the high priest. And the spirit of the Lord stirred up the remnant of the people. Paul told Timothy, stir up the gift that is within you, Timothy, by the laying on of hands. Stir it up, Timothy. And I'm telling you, the Spirit of God is wanting to stir up your spirit today. God is wanting to awaken you to the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. That we are walking around on planet earth with something that we can't even imagine with this carnal mind. But we have the mind of Christ. And we should be able to discern and understand now at least have a beginning of that knowledge, a beginning of that wisdom, a beginning of that understanding that it is Christ. I am a carrier of the presence of God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in me, not because of anything I did, but because of everything he did. And if you are born again today, if you are in Christ today, that same spirit and that same God of all power and all majesty dwells in you as well. You have his mind. You have his life. You have his nature. Quit hiding it. Let it come out. Work to oppose the forces of the carnal mind. Work to oppose the spiritual forces of darkness that are trying to deceive you. But it's not in your flesh that you're going to work to oppose them. Because we don't war in the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're mighty. Where? In God. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Do you trust him to work and to will and to do according to his good pleasure, even if his good pleasure is contrary to your own? Well, if you let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, you will lay down your own and seek his will. If you will let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, you won't try to fulfill what you desire. Your desires will become one with his and you will walk in obedience, not because you feel like you have to, not because you're afraid to, but because it's your good pleasure to. And you find your joy in bringing glory to the Father. If you will let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, you will persevere. Even though all the forces of hell may come against you, you will persevere because you know you have the promise from on high that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And he has already overcome the world. He said, he told us, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going to have pain. You're going to have suffering. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've overcome it. 
This is not our home. Heaven is our home. This is not our citizenship. Heaven is our citizenship. Let's stop living like this is the be all and end all. And let's get the mind of Christ. Let's let that life, that nature, and that mind come out of us, be seen through us, be manifest so the world will know there's a hope beyond this life. And if we don't take what I'm telling you outside these four paneled walls, it's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. Because for the most part, we preach to the choir on Sunday morning and Saturday night. We sing to God. We preach to God and to the saints of God. And we're getting so puffed up with knowledge. But because we're not operating it, because we're not walking in it, because we're not out there fulfilling, we just want to keep coming. It's like going to the movie. I want more entertainment. I want to get more and more and more and more. Give me more, God. We even sing and we pray, Lord, I want more. Why do you want more? Why do we want more? We're not walking in what we have already. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just being honest with you. I'm just being honest with you. Let's start walking in it, church. Let's take our light out there. And let's make a difference where it really counts. We don't need a flashlight in here. It's light. Let's take the light into the darkness where the light is needed. Amen? And you come here. You come and you assemble together to encourage one another, to build up one another. Why? Because you're going out into the world to do the work of ministry. You come in here to get equipped so that you can go out. Amen? You have the mind of Christ. Let it come out of you. Amen? Let's all stand. I'm going to pray a prayer of dismissal. And if you're here today and you want prayer for any reason, maybe you're sick in your body, maybe you've got some financial issues or, or relational, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. If it's concerning you, if it's robbing you of peace and joy, then it's, it's concerning to God. Amen. And you come and just, just, just sit down up here and we will pray with you. Amen? Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you, God, to open our hearts and to open our minds to your word and to your truth. Lord, I'm reminded of what you told Zerubbabel. It's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And God, what we're asking is not more of man's might, not more of man's power, not slick marketing, not, not creative ways to manipulate people. God, we're asking for your spirit to move on us and to bring about and to effect a transformation that God, the very life of Christ in us, the very nature of God in us, Lord, the very mind of Christ that you've given us, Lord, would become operational, would become known and manifest through our lives, that Christ would be revealed through his body in the earth, that is the church, that's us here today who are born again. And Father, if there's one here right now that's never been born again, that's never surrendered their life to you and come to the end of themselves and entered into a new life in Christ. If there's anyone right now, you've never done that, you've never come to the end of your old life and entered into a new life in Christ. If you want to do that, raise your hand. Is there anyone? You say, Pastor Jeff, I want to be born again today. I want to come to the end of the old and I want to enter a new life in Christ Jesus. Is there anyone? Anyone? Well, Father, by our profession, we are either all believers or we are content for now where we are.
But Father, I pray for those that are here, Lord, who count themselves as believers. Lord, I pray that you would stir our spirits. God, that the Spirit of God would stir the spirit of your people to rise up and do the work of God. Lord, to lead people, to model to people faith in Christ. This is the work of God, Jesus said, that you believe in the one whom the Father has sent. God, let us rise up and do the work of God. Let us bring people to a place of believing and hoping and trusting in you. Let them see that light and that life in us, God, that it would provoke them to the same life and the same faith in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Not I, but Christ tonight at 6. And uh, if you need prayer, want prayer, please come up here and we will pray.